God is good. Even if we have to wear masks, God is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I had a title slide, but I left it on my desk. <laughs> um, I believe I have a message from the Lord tonight because of the opposition that I have encountered. So I just want to open in prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you want to speak to us tonight, oh Lord God. Lord, it's not my word, oh Lord Jesus, but it came from you, oh Lord God. And Lord Jesus, it's you, oh Lord, who wants to help us, oh God, enlighten us, oh Lord Jesus. Oh God, to walk with you, oh Lord, to be victorious. I ask in your name, oh Lord, that tonight I stand behind you, oh Lord Jesus, and that you would stand in this place and that the word would come directly from your heart and from your mouth, oh Lord Jesus. I ask for your anointing. I ask that you would be with us and I ask, oh God, that your word would be planted in our hearts. Lord, that we would not just hear it tonight, oh God, but that we would begin to put these things into practice, oh Lord Jesus, because they are things that we can do, oh Lord God. I ask in the name of Jesus, amen. In 1965, the USA and their allies escalated their involvement in Vietnam to contain and stop the spread of communism in Southeast Asia. Prior to this, the USA had funded South Vietnam to train their army to deal with the communist insurgents infiltrating from North Vietnam. Australia sent a team of military advisors as part of this program and in line with the common foreign policy. By 1965, it seemed that the foreign aid to South Vietnam was not enough and the decision was made to put boots on the ground. The Allied forces went to war prepared for conventional warfare. That is, they went in prepared to fight a traditional battle using traditional battlefield strategies, tactics, weapons and bombs. Their expectation was for open confrontation with both forces well-defined. This is our side. This was their side. Their intention was to take out strategic military targets, bomb the capital city, army bases and supply lines for the Viet Cong. However, due to the dense jungle landscape, their bombing was highly inaccurate. They sent more ground troops into the jungles, but that just made them easy targets for the Viet Cong who knew the jungles better than their opponents. The Viet Cong used simple tactics to frustrate their enemies. They retreated when the enemy attacked. They raided the enemy camps and stole supplies. They attacked when they knew the enemy was tired and they pursued when the enemy retreated. It was difficult for the Allied forces to know who they were fighting. The Viet Cong had managed to win over strategic local villages by treating them with respect and sometimes even helping them as they worked in the fields. They used this friendship to give them food, shelter and places to hide. This also enabled them to influence the local people 
and they sow seeds of mistrust amongst uh, mistrust of the Allied forces. The Viet Cong picked battles they knew they could win. They didn't fight using conventional warfare or traditional methods of war, but they fought using guerrilla warfare. Guerrilla warfare is a type of warfare that uses unusual tactics and in-depth knowledge of local surroundings to defeat both to defeat opponents both physically and psychologically. Exodus 15 and 9. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. 1 Peter 5 verses 8 to 9 says, Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Tonight, I want to minister the thought, know your enemy. We have an enemy. This enemy has in-depth knowledge of his local surroundings and uses unusual tactics to defeat his opponents both physically, psychologically and spiritually. We cannot enter dialogue with him with the intention of negotiation or peace deals. He is relentless and a threat to every believer. He is a ruthless tactician with a carefully planned strategy to achieve his ultimate objective pacing back and forth, waiting for the right moment in which to pursue, overtake, steal, kill, and destroy his opponents. To defeat this enemy, we must know who he is, where he comes from, and how to defeat him. We must be aware of his devices and how he thinks. We cannot be ignorant, lest lest he take advantage of us. All this information has been placed in our hand. It is up to us to open the book, read the manual and learn what we're up against and how to fight and who is on our side. Although we're first introduced to our enemy in the book of Genesis, we are given his backstory in both Ezekiel 28 verses 13 to 17 and Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. These passages reveal glimpses not only of his former self, but also insight to the tactics he uses to bring us down. We must know who we are fighting against and recognize his attack if we are going to be successful in our opposition to him. Isaiah 14 and 12 gives us his name, Lucifer, which is translated morning star. However, the Hebrew word for his name has the origins in the word halal, which means to be a clear, to be clear of sound and color, to make a show or boast, to celebrate, to glory, or to be liked. He shone in the heavenlies as the brightest star of the morning. Ezekiel 28 and 13 illustrates this description by the covering by his covering of precious stones and tablets or timbrels and pipes 
gemstones that gleamed in the brilliance and instruments that produced music that filled the atmosphere as he reflected and interacted with the flashes of light from the glory of God. He was the covering cherub. The Hebrew word for covering here suggests the meaning to be along the lines of a booth booth that is built in an elevated position and used by a guard to watch over or to protect. It also describes a hedge of protection. And I believe that it is from these definitions that some have concluded that Lucifer was the guardian of the glory of God. He ministered at the very throne of God, on the mountain of God, a place of authority and intimacy with God. He was the perfect creature in beauty, intelligence and function. That is, until the day that iniquity was found in him. Pride, born of vanity, corrupted his thinking. Isaiah 14, 13 to 14 says, For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. His beauty went to his head and caused his thoughts to change from service to lordship, from a reflector of glory to an absorber. He wanted it all for himself. Stripped of his position, authority and covering, he was expelled from heaven and exiled to the earth and its atmosphere. Away from the glory of God, his beauty was extinguished and everything in him became darkness. In his first interactions with humanity, recorded in Genesis 3, he reveals what he truly is, a murderer and a deceiver. Jesus exposes him in John 8 and 44. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He came into the Garden of Eden with the intent to kill what belonged to God, the image creature, and the communion they shared with God. He would watch and wait for the perfect opportunity to interact and to twist their thinking into rebellion against God. Knowing that iniquity and God could not dwell together. He would strip them of their fellowship and take away life as they knew it. He would destroy God's plan for free will worship. He did not appear to Eve in his ugliness, but disguised himself as a serpent and harmlessly and subtly began to ask her loaded questions. With deception laced in his manner and his voice as smooth as silk, he would undermine her faith in God's truth, planting seeds of doubt. Hath God said? That's not what he really meant. Had Eve stopped to think about the character of God instead of entertaining what she was hearing, she would have recognized that something wasn't right and ended the conversation. But she stayed. She conversed. She listened, allowing her attention to be drawn to what she didn't think she had. Of all the trees of the garden, there was only one that they were not to eat the fruit of. 
Of all the creatures in the garden, they were the most intelligent. But they didn't know as much as God. Here we see that our own intellect is not sufficient to fight off our enemy. The conventional way to counteract an argument is by reasoning. However, when you reason with this, with this enemy, you give him access to your thinking and he will play with your mind to manipulate your thinking away from God. He is a deceiver with intentions to steal, kill and ultimately destroy. We must know our enemy. The consequences of this conversation resulted in the law of sin and death being unleashed into the world. Adam and Eve did not die physically in that moment. That would come later. But they instantly experienced spiritual death. Their disobedience disconnected their relationship they shared with God. A carnal nature would now rule in their members. This carnal nature would be the nature that everyone after them would be born with and struggle against to maintain faith and trust in God. Romans 8 and 7 tells us, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Although Satan won a small victory that day, he did not count on God's plan of redemption or on a new birth where the Spirit of God could rule and reign again in the hearts of the whosoever will. We are not left without hope. We are not left defenseless in a war that on our own we could not win. The next time a conversation is recorded between the enemy and humanity, it turns out a little differently. Although the same tactics are used, this time we see how knowing who we, are, who we are dealing with and being grounded in the word of God can be used to defeat the enemy of our souls. We have the weapons of our warfare in our hand. We just have to use them. Before beginning his earthly ministry, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He was preparing for his mission of redemption with prayer and fasting. He also knew that during this time, his flesh would be tempted. Hebrews 4 and 15 tells us that, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. When Jesus came, his flesh, when Jesus came to this world, his flesh was susceptible to all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He would be tempted in his flesh in the wilderness, the same as we are. Matthew 4 and 2 tells us that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he became hungry. The whole time Jesus was in the wilderness, he was being watched by his enemy. As the enemy waited for an opportune time to tempt him. He waited until Jesus was weak and hungry to pounce. He will use our suffering to try and destroy us. And history tells us that hunger has caused people to do things they never imagined they would do. There's no need for you to be hungry, Jesus. If you are really the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, had it been you or me after 40 days, we would have done it, right? I would have failed right there. I know it. We would have gratified our flesh in a flash, a 
especially after 40 days. But Jesus recognized that his hunger, his his discomfort in the flesh was being used to tempt him to misuse his anointing and power to serve his fleshly desires. Yes, he was hungry, but he came to serve others and not himself. Jesus was focused on the eternal and not on that which was temporal and fleeting. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So Satan tried again, this time manipulating scripture to tempt Jesus to use his power and authority to show off and gain the approval of the people. He takes Jesus up and sets him upon the pinnacle of the temple. With streets bustling with people going about their business below, he tempts Jesus, if you are the son of God, jump. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. If we do not know the word of God, Scripture can be used against us to persuade us to do something that we know is wrong or unwise. It is important that we know the word of God, its commandments and its principles and use scripture in the proper context. The scripture will not contradict itself. If we know the word of God well, we will be able to counteract that which is misused with truth and not get caught out. Matthew 4 and 7, Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Jesus did not come to perform dramatic acts that would ensure his, pop- his popularity with the people, nor to, feel, not to fulfill their expectations of what Messiah looked like. In Satan's next attempt, he would offer Jesus the easy way out in return for what he wanted in the first place. He took Jesus up to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. All this could be yours in a moment. There's no need to establish your own kingdom when you can have all the glory and power over every nation right now if you would worship me. Matthew 4 and 10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. No one wants to suffer. But Jesus knew the way of of suffering and the cross was the only way to destroy the work of the enemy and deliver humanity from the dominion of Satan. The cross had to be endured for his kingdom to be established. There would be joy on the other side of the suffering, both in the heavenlies and in the lives of those that would accept his sacrifice. His kingdom was not of this world and would be an everlasting kingdom. The glory and the power that Jesus was being tempted with was but a drop in the bucket compared to the glory and power that he would receive when his work on earth was finished. Jesus had scripture for every temptation. He knew what his enemy was about. He understood the weakness of his flesh and submitted them to the will of God. It did not make the temptation easier to resist, but his understanding and knowledge of his enemy and what he was up against kept him focused on what was more important. 
We have an enemy without that has roamed his environment for thousands of years, watching and studying human nature and behavior. He considers himself an expert. However, he cannot read our minds. He does not know our thoughts. But he counts on the reactions of our flesh to give him the information he needs to bring us down physically, psychologically and spiritually. We see this when he came against Job. Job is described as perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed or avoided evil. The note in the Life in the Spirit Study Bible describes Job as a mature worshipper of God whose conscience was clear. He was a man of integrity, wholesome in his attitudes and righteous in his lifestyle. Job was a wealthy man, respected in his community, in his family and in his household. He had seven sons and three daughters and many servants working for him. But Satan dared God to remove the hedge of protection he had placed around Job and his stuff. Satan was convinced that Job's faith and commitment to God was based on blessings. If he could get to Job's stuff and to his house, Job would forsake God. Satan counts on our flesh ruling our decisions. His plan is simple. He will try and use the experience of suffering to destroy our faith in God. He has seen it work many times, and this is what he is counting on in Job's case. God accepted the challenge and removed the protection he had around Job only because he knew the the depth of Job's commitment to him. Job did not allow his suffering to weaken his faith in God. He questioned but his faith was strong. Job worshipped God through it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord was his attitude. Our flesh is our greatest weakness and the enemy will use it against us. Our flesh is easily deceived, manipulated and enticed by our senses. What we see, hear, taste, smell and touch. Our flesh seeks self-gratification it is selfish it seeks validation and entitlement it is affected by the things that is that are in the world we must recognize our weaknesses and the struggles we have in order to fight against its self-destructive tendencies we can be our own worst enemies second corinthians 10 3 to 6 for we not for Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience, when your obedience is fulfilled. We have been given weapons to fight spiritual warfare. They are not conventional weapons to be used in conventional war where the confrontation is out in the open and both sides are well defined. Our enemy does not play fair and neither do we. we can, if we can get a hold of what we have been given access to. Firstly, we have the Holy Ghost. 
an unfair advantage to begin with if we are led by him. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Secondly, the weapons of our warfare are so unconventional that we do not even recognize them as important. And this is what our enemy is counting on. But if we would use them, they are mighty through God to the pulling down of fortresses, the delivering of captives, the healing of the brokenhearted, and liberty to them that are bruised. The weapons we have been given are in our power. They are in our reach. Our voice. Our voice is a weapon that we can use. We can speak the spoken word of God. And this is a mighty weapon in the mouth of one who knows how to use it. And Jesus has showed us that it works. Our shout for joy. This does not make sense when we're suffering, but the power in it will destroy strongholds. Ask Joshua. Ask David. Ask the sons of Korah. Ask Abijah, king of Judah, when Jeroboam came against him. Ask Ezra. Ask Isaiah and Jeremiah. Ask Zephaniah and Zechariah. Ask the voice of the archangel. Our song of praise. The phrase, sing praises, appears in the scripture 18 times. Sing unto the Lord appears 17 times. The word song appears 78 times. All together, 113 times. Our dance or rejoicing. Dance appears eight times, but rejoice. Rejoice appears 192 times in the scripture. Don't tell me that making a fool of yourself in the presence of God is not powerful. These weapons are readily available. I haven't mentioned lift up. Lift up your hands. Lift up your voice. Lift up your eyes. Don't look around you, but look up to God. He has the power. And through our foolishness before him, he will give us victory. He has promised us victory. These weapons are physical because they involve our body, but they are spiritual because they involve our will. They seem weak and silly to the carnal mind, but they are mighty weapons nonetheless. We must remember that the carnal mind is actively hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's law since it cannot. The war takes place in our minds. We have the weapons that will enable us to capture our thoughts and bring them into obedience and align them with Christ. We must overcome the battle in our mind to use the weapons we have been given. If we can only recognize what is going on in our thinking and cast down those imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, that includes your feelings, that includes what you want, that includes disobedience, that includes the things you know you shouldn't have, that includes all those things, everything that goes on, doubt. Doubt can kill us. 
and yet we entertain it. But we can bring those thoughts down if we know the word of God. Doubting your worth, doubting the love of God. He pours out his spirit upon us. We feel his love in this place. We cannot doubt what God has done for us. We must bring those thoughts. Hey, where are you going? No, that's not true. Call it out for what it is. A lie. Hallelujah. We must be sober, vigilant. Be on guard to recognize when your enemy is at work. We must be steadfast in the faith. Raise your shield of faith, for it is by steadfast faith that you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We can get revenge on disobedience by being obedient to Christ. (laughs) We can get revenge when we are tempted to be disobedient. Ha! Let's think about it. Why don't I be obedient and I can get revenge on the devil? I can give him a black eye because I am being obedient to Christ. We must recognize the weaknesses of our flesh and instead of feeding them, nursing them, making excuses for them and strengthening them, we can weaken their hold on them, on us by submitting them to God. And subduing them through obedience. Again, there's that word. Obedience to the word of God. For if we belong to Christ, we have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. Why don't we stand tonight if if a musician would come. Galatians 5 and 16 says, This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We must get over ourselves and use the weapons we have been given. Rejoice when it feels like the last thing you want to do. Give glory to God even when you're suffering. Forgive lest your enemy should get advantage of you. Let's not be ignorant of his devices. Let's know our enemy and be ready to fight guerrilla warfare in the spirit. Let's rebel against this world. Rebel against the thinking and pick up the word of God. Get it into our heads. Get it into our hearts. We don't know how long we'll have it. We need to know the word of God. Hallelujah. We need to know our enemy and what he is. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He's 